Uh, thank you again for letting me continue with the uh, series, A Walk with God. And today is, um, let's pick up on where they ended. There is a victory that we're looking forward to, but the place we're at now is somewhere in the journey along the way. And the journey may not be as uh, grand and glorious as that end is going to look and that the way life goes. So we deal with the middle many of the times and how we're going to make it through. Fact is, sometimes we're caught and find ourselves in difficult places. Grand views can be admired. We take pictures of them. Along the way, I have hundreds of them, views that are beautiful places to see. In some ways, they're very alike, even though they're very different also. But also, there are times when you find other scenes that grabbed your attention a lot more than beauty itself. This one didn't happen on the trail. A different time when we had taken the family and went out to Hawaii. This has been over 15 years ago. And in visiting that state, there's a lot of places you might want to see, but one you do not want to miss. We uh, took a uh, ride, a boat ride, out to the uh, memorial on top of what is the USS Arizona. And standing there in that place is one of the most moving experiences I ever had. Because even though you and I have read about history and what happened there, the events that began our entry into World War II, to be there is to experience it in a different way. That kind of place. To know that something real has happened and that because of that experience and what followed it, life for many people were changed. We don't always face change the easiest, you see. Uh, this is about Bobby. Bobby was a kindergartner, you know, six years old. He had completed pre-K very successfully and moved along. That was good for his parents. Uh, it was the first day of kindergarten, and Bobby was always used to his mom picking him up at the end of the day. In pre-K, that was at noon, and Bobby was aware of that. So kind of watching the clock a little, uh, around noon, he began to gather up all of his stuff on that first day, ready to go. His teacher stopped him and said, Bobby, what are you doing? Well, I'm getting ready for my mom to come pick me up at 12 o'clock. She said, oh, Bobby, no one told you, did they? Told me what? When you're in kindergarten, you have to stay all the way till 3 p.m. His face got real long for a moment. Then he said, well, who signed me up for that? <laughs> he had no idea what it was going to bring, you know. And, and that's the way those kind of moments are, what's expected of us. And we're trying to take a, uh, find a good sense of our journey as Christians and what's going to be expected of us along the way. I've shared with you before that one way of seeing Mark's gospel is as an answer to three questions. Not a single answer, but a repeated answer that continues to grow as you read through the book in its entirety. You can take almost any story in it and find it is in some way answering one of three questions. This particular story answers all three. And we're going to use those kind of as a framework for us as we talk about our life as followers of Jesus. It begins with this question. Well, who is this Jesus? And Jesus asked his disciples, now who do people say that I am? And they are uh, kind of giving him the lowdown that some say you're one of the prophets, uh, Elijah, you know, somebody that's great. Uh, people 
who were not one of his followers would often talk of him as being a, a good teacher. And they also recognized him as a miracle worker. But many had not yet seen beyond that. Now you and I as Christians sit here and say, and we can push that button farther than that when we know what it means for Jesus then asked them, but who do you say I am? And always you're being pushed not just to what is that stock answer someone else gives, but what is the one that you've come to know is true for yourself. And they made not a statement of someone else's belief, but their own. You can call that a confession. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He had the answer right. Now, you've got to know that as you read through the whole gospel that Peter has to revisit that again and see what it means because it's not that easy to grasp all in one moment. He had the right idea. He even had a good answer, a very good one, but experience was going to teach him a lot more of what it meant, who he was. It is a, always as the church, we're in need of clarity about what we believe of Jesus. Because if we are not clear on it, we can't represent him very well in the world around us. It's why we continue to have study groups, short-term, long-term Sunday schools, because we take it very seriously, the teaching ministry of the church, that you do need to know who Jesus is. That is, and what he is, and what he expects of us. And in that time, it was a difficult era in which Mark wrote. It was about the time when... Uh, the Roman government would be tired of the uh, insurrection of the Jews, would come in in the year 70 AD, would uh, destroy the temple and conquer those people and be done with the problems they have brought to them. It was a difficult time in history. We can measure difficulties in other ways. In fact, in in newscasts, we find earlier this year, you know, more Oklahoma had a large tornado to strike it and destroy much of it. And maybe you saw just a day or so in the paper where children who were in the school in that day are now back in school. Life is beginning to pick up and move on. I imagine a difficulty in that transition, but we find that we face difficulties. And through that, we are finding not only who he is, but who we are as his people, what God wants to do with us. The first question is, who is Jesus? Who do we say he is? That is our confession, because out of our experience, we have something to tell others. The second question Mark answers is, uh, why did he die upon the cross? And that is something that books are written on. And I mean long ones with words you've got to study up to understand. And then there's as simple as a Bible story. It's as simple as, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We understand it. Complex words or not, we come to know that he is the one who loves us. That his sacrifice was a gift for us. Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane knelt and in prayer would have this pass from him if it was possible. But most of all, he desired his Father's will to be done. And Jesus came for that purpose. It was a great sacrifice for us. That brings me to my experience on the trail. Sacrifices, when you see them, get your attention. This particular part of the trail, located in Maryland and Pennsylvania, 
uh, are historical places. I read about them along the way in grade school. I remember stories about the Civil War. And in the era I was growing up, still, you know, there were Confederate flags being flown by some people for different reasons, not about that war itself. But I thought about this when I walked through it. There were places that people had died. In fact, Abraham Lincoln, within his Gettysburg address, wrote this about one place I saw. He said, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I'd studied the Civil War, but I'd never been near a battlefield. And there at Antietam, you know that's the bloodiest day of battle of any American conflict ever. More Americans died there than on D-Day or Pearl Harbor. Of course, both sides were Americans, which makes it a greater tragedy. Somehow, standing there, history was more real. We're meant to be a people for whom it becomes real. Jesus is not just a story. It's not a symbol of what God's doing. It's the reality of God's love settling in to life for us. It's hallowed what God does in lives around us. Why did he die upon the cross? The answer is, of course, for us. Not a selfish for us, as in only us, but because we're the ones who could not take care of ourselves. Because sin has a grip on our world and on us that we cannot break alone. And it was necessary. And those places I sat there and thought about, not necessarily the sides you might want to take, but the sacrifice that was made. And Jesus' sacrifice was that great for us because the need was that great. A few miles farther down that trail, I saw something else that I never knew about, and I invite you to Google it when you go home. Uh, It is the first Washington Monument. Oh, I know, you and I have seen the spire that's uh, on the Long Mall in D.C., and I've been up in the top of that and is inspirational, but I saw the first one. It still stands. It was built in 1827 by the uh, uh, citizens of Boonesboro, Maryland. They began it on July 4th, completing it later that fall. The first such monument to George Washington, our first president. It actually was used as a lookout during the Civil War. Beautiful monument. Not like the one on the mall, maybe because the people who built it chose themselves. Not because the government might pay for it, but they did it themselves. Now, Jesus doesn't want a monument built to himself. In fact, the church is not meant to be a monument. You know, some symbol of what happened in the past. Instead, it is a 
life-saving station of what God is doing in the present. Our actions carry out what God wants. That brings us to the third question. For the first one was, who is Jesus? Why did he die upon the cross? The third one is, what does such a Lord expect of his disciples? What does he expect of us? Inside of that text, he put a three-step action plan, if you would, for us to follow. He said we are to deny ourselves, and that's kind of a hard sense. How do you pull that one off? Self-denial is removing oneself from consideration. That is from the dictionary. That is, finding the way that you begin to put something else ahead of you. Let me reread the passage Uh, verse 34, using the Amplified Bible, it may help you understand it better. And Jesus called to him the throne which his disciples said to them, if anyone intends to come after me, let him deny himself, that is, forget, ignore, disown, and lose sight of himself and his own interest, and take up his cross and join me as disciple, and siding with my party, Follow with me, continually cleaving steadfastly to me. So following is not as simple as stepping on a trail, seeing markers out there, and you can rest as you want, but it is a cleaving to, a clinging, a desire to be near him more than anything else. That's what he asks of us. Kevin Legree, who taught uh, in the School of Theology at Emory, said this about our sense of sacrifice in this time, the way we are to show it. Fast from judging others, he said, and feast on Christ indwelling in you. Fast from discontentment and feast on gratitude. Fast from complaining and feast on appreciation. Fast from bitterness and feast on forgiveness. Fast from discouragement and feast on hope. Fast from lethargy and feast on enthusiasm. Fast from suspicion and feast on truth. Fast from thoughts that weaken us and feast on promises that inspire us. Fast from idle gossip and feast on purposeful silence. We are meant to be a people who learn to deny ourselves. That is, we take part and care and decide that we will give for others more than we take for ourselves, is dethroning ourselves in order to become a follower of Jesus. The second step in that pattern of being a follower is to deny yourself, but then to take up your cross. And the cross is not the, is not the dangling kind around of the neck or a nice one you might put in your pocket, a piece of jewelry. It's meant to represent taking what you are in the unique way God gifts you and letting that be what God is able to use. I look out and see all of you and you're, you're each a different person. Some of you and your families look very similar. Some even have similar voices. That's always a little scary when I see that, you know, a little, lot, lot alike. But in the middle of all that alikeness or all those differences, what we share together is that God has made you to be a follower. The talents and gifts and opportunities and experiences, the personality, all that combination go together in a way that you can serve him. That's what we have to bring. That's the you 
that you bring to the cross. We define it as purposefully desiring what God wants. And we are to follow him. When I'm on the, on the trail, I generally am not following anyone. I'm following markers. You know, well, you could say I'm following whoever put the last mark up there. Always you're trying to get there. So the next step you take is in the right direction. Jesus helps to mark our trail. I believe every day there, he's trying to paint a mark for you to see, not hiding his direction. He's trying to make it clearer for you to see who he is and what he wants and what we're supposed to do to follow him. I thought about the empty nest that I brought for the children this morning. In some ways, it represents our Christian maturity. It's that God is working on you and me. He wants us to feel safe and secure in some moments. You know, I I think of church maybe being one of those times. I, I read in the paper today about the struggles of the Christians in Egypt. And during the conflicts that's going on, they tend to still be one of the, the uh, uh, they are persecuted. They've tried to find ways not to be there, 10% of the population, and they're continually persecuted. And yet, though ch- uh, churches are burned or destroyed, they continue to be faithful followers. Not in a safe nest. The nest does its job well when the baby birds are grown and gone. The parents have fed them, their bodies have developed, the feathers have come on their wings, they've learned to flap them and take off, and you know it worked because you're not walking around. How about us? You find us carrying that good news, not simply seeking the nest of safety, but finding a great way that we can be about his work. God does wonderful things. Walking into history was awesome to me. I mean, like I said, I've studied that for a while, and it brought back some of the thoughts I knew of, of facts about those events. But what captured me was sacrifice. People went there, and they died. And I know there are battlefields in many places, and some of you have been on them. And you know it's not glamour. It's done for a purpose. And you and I are meant to live for a purpose. And God will bring the glory and the end to all of it. We live toward that. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you love us so much. You gave us Jesus. And we are still trying to understand all of what that means in our lives. We do know that the big things have been shaped. That there is a power now for sin to be forgiven. That there is, through your spirit, a new way to live life. That you gift us in new ways that we can be your followers. But decisions are made every day on how we're going to do it. Open us, Lord, to the path you'd have us to follow seeing the sacrifice of so many already around us. In Christ we pray. Amen.